Hi, I'm Neville J. McKenzie, and you're listening to Asia Biz Stories, Entrepreneurs in Action. You're about to listen to the eighth in the series of 15 episodes that were created for the Entrepreneurs Asia website, the magazine website founded and created by my colleague Max Henry. In the first cast, I gave you a brief background to the series. I hope that you find the series interesting and informative. As you continue to listen to the series, please visit my website at asiabizstories.com. That's asiabizstories.com. And please leave any comments or suggestions. So now, without further delay, let's begin. Are you ready to begin your journey out of the realm of just theories and into a world of excitement and experience that only comes with braving the unknown? Join us as we speak to entrepreneurs who have faced the challenges of successfully creating businesses at home as well as abroad. Whether it's arts, services, or tech, from Shanghai to Tokyo, Bangkok to Mumbai, we'll help you find your inspiration and turn it into action. Get ready for Asia Biz Stories, Entrepreneurs in Action. Now welcome your host, Neville J. McKenzie. Today's interview is with Simon Henry. Simon is a co-founder and co-CEO of Juwai.com. Simon has previously participated in seven startups. However, Juwai, an award-winning online platform, is his first owned startup, identified after seeing a blue ocean opportunity in the real estate market. Simon explains in detail the motivation for the startup and what he and his co-founder wish to achieve and the role their business plan plays. The personal costs made by both co-founders before Juwai went live and now as it grows towards their billion dollar goal as a marketing and services company for the worldwide Chinese community. Why they are succeeding while the copycats are sinking or just can't keep up as Juwai disrupts the worldwide property market. He also tells us what it takes personally and professionally to be a successful entrepreneur. Vital advice to those thinking of becoming entrepreneurs. Hi Simon, thanks for allowing me to break into your busy schedule. No problem um, Neville, thank you for coming. Can you just introduce yourself and just tell us what you do? Yeah, my name is Simon Henry, I'm co-founder and co-CEO of Juwa.com. Uh, we're the world's largest platform for uh, helping Chinese find property around the world. So tell us about your recent award that you won. Yeah, we were um, quite fortunate that um, one of the large internet commerce associations in China uh, awarded us with the most influential foreign property website in China for 2014, and they introduced us as the most influential foreign-owned company in China for 2014. Can you tell us why, why you started Juwai and how you started it? We started GUI because we saw a, a very big need uh, for a very large market which was completely underserviced um, by any of the existing players. Uh, we were both based in southern China at the time and we saw um, or heard a lot of Mandarin starting to be spoken in, in Hong Kong and there were mainland Chinese were buying a lot of properties in Hong Kong market. We asked the question what happens next, what happens when they start looking further abroad and there was no service available which helped actually educate and inform Chinese buyers about global property markets. Uh, we saw that the market was increasing uh, dramatically year on year um, and the opportunity was wide open. It's probably one of the only blue ocean opportunities which we've actually seen in our careers. So can you tell us how you planned or how you got started? 
Um, it certainly started by doing the hard work first. <laughs> uh, we came up with the idea uh, and then it was a, once we realized how big the opportunity was, my co-founder quit his job and went full-time doing market research and data analysis for 18 months, um, basically finding out about the consumer, finding out the buyers, correlating global data, uh, looking at trends and seeing what markets were applicable. Uh, and then we sat down and wrote a, a business plan in terms of what we wanted to achieve and where we wanted to go. Uh, and that was all before we even launched a prototype. Now, a lot of um, entrepreneurs say they just jump in because they want to be first. Why did you spend 18 months on a business plan? Uh, because we knew the, the opportunity was such a big one. Uh, if you, if you pl- uh, fail to plan, you, you plan to fail. Uh, and so it really had to be mapped out um, uh, in, in pretty strong detail from very, the very first day to making sure that if we were built, working for an opportunity to build a multi-billion dollar company, it has to be planned, it has to be executed flawlessly, and you have to know where, you, where you're going and, and how you're going to get there. Was that because you saw it as a blue ocean opportunity? Very much so. I mean, for the first couple of years, we were just panicking, thinking, oh my God, this opportunity is so great. Surely someone else is going to come up with the idea. Uh, and we were very fortunate that no one else did. Um, and what GUI has done in the meantime is, is make it look quite easy. Uh, however, the, the, it's a very, very difficult market to tackle, and no one else has done it before us or since, because it is such a difficult opportunity. And um, what did you set out to create? And what did you consider? Mm-hmm. Uh, we set, set out to create a... a a marketplace where um, Chinese, anyone who speaks Chinese from anywhere in the world can find out about uh, global property markets, um, find uh, properties which they may like to invest in, and then a communications channel to allow um, buyers to be put, put in touch with sellers as quickly as possible. Um, so we're effectively working with two emerging markets. One is the Chinese looking at international property for the first time, and the second is the international seller market um, and as they try and reach out and engage with international buyers for the first time. Your brand seems to be very distinctive. How did you go about creating your brand? We set out from day one to create a a trusted Chinese brand. And so we did a fair bit of market research prior to launching in terms of working out, okay, what's going to resonate with our consumers? Uh, What um, uh, brands do they currently trust? Uh, Why do they trust them? Uh, And then we looked at, okay, how do we define this into something which becomes an iconic global brand rather than just a Chinese brand? Uh, So it was a lot of hard work, a lot of design, a lot of iterations until we finally come up with the brand which we have today. And what is Jiu-Y? Jiu-Y is actually a made-up word, um, uh, made up by two words, um, um, uh, Jiu and Y, which literally could translate to being uh, home outside or life abroad or uh, home overseas. Um, the word didn't exist three years ago. It's a word which we made up, um, which we've since obviously trademarked, uh, and it's now a more searched term on Baidu than the term international property. What do you want to achieve with the real estate market? Are you an estate agent or a real estate company? No, we're, we're definitely a marketing and services company. So our job is to expose um, Chinese, no matter where they are in the world, to the global property markets. We do that through information, we do it through education, we do it through choice. Uh, we're also very big in terms of promoting and marketing international brands because most brands in China are relatively unknown. There's probably only one global franchise brand which is well known in China, and that's Century 21, and they have been operating in China for over 20 years. Uh, so really for us it's about building a trusted platform, uh, a place where buyers and sellers can, can interact and communicate with each other uh, in, a, in a safe and transparent um, uh, platform. And how do you go about promoting your company? 
internally and externally. <laughs> so obviously we've got two markets which we serve. One is the Chinese buyer, uh, the, the Chinese investor who has money and is looking at international property. Um, and so we, uh, we're very, very successful in terms of PR, SEO, SEM, social media marketing, and we also do a lot of offline events. Um, and we appear in a lot of print magazines and newspapers. Uh, so it's all about reaching the right demographic and using all the tools which are available to you in China and around the world to, to, to reach those consumers. For the international customer side of things, um, we pretty much operate only by word of mouth. Uh, we, we realize that the market is a very big one and yet there's probably only a small number of agents globally who are, uh, are willing to, uh, who are looking to work with international buyers uh, and who are willing to pay for the service. Uh, and so we really look for the creme de la creme of, of global real estate agents and developers uh, and advertisers who want to reach our audience. When you first bought the site online, how many visitors did you have? <laughs> Zero, day one. Zero, yeah. <laughs> uh, It's something which is definitely something which grows. Um, uh, when we launched the site, we had a little over a million listings from five key countries around the world. Uh, we launched it um, in November of 2011, so we're just over three years old now. Uh, so literally the day we turned on the site was the day we got our first visitor. And how many visitors do you have now? About two and a half million every month. From zero to two and a half million in three, in years. three years. And it's also a very, very targeted demographic too. Yeah. Because we don't um, market or advertise any properties in China, uh, everyone who comes to our site has the means, the ability uh, and the intent to purchase international property. So the demographic of our user is incredibly targeted. Um, who was your first hire? Who, who did you bring in first? Our chief content officer and our, chi our chief editor, so, um, uh, and who's now our general manager of China. So she's someone who was born in Shanghai, educated in Hong Kong and the US, and, and then we dragged her back to Shanghai when we set up um, GY.com. Um, so she really looks after the entire Chinese team and Chinese team execution. Um, and we view her as one of our co-founders. So was that a very important hire for you? It was a very important hire, but we, uh, we'd actually worked with Jan for five years prior. Uh, so she was um, uh, someone who was very well known to us and, and someone who was very well trusted. How do you structure your business? Um, so we really created two startups. One is the startup servicing international customers, agents, developers and advertisers. And the second startup is the, uh, the website, consumer website which services Chinese consumers or property buyers. Um, and so really what we do is we, we, uh, we balance supply and demand uh, and, and Juwai's secret sauce is the glue in the middle which brings the buyer and the seller together. A lot of visitors visiting your site mm -hmm. now. How does that benefit your business in terms of the future? The, with with um, real estate, there's always two transactions that happen. Uh, one is the uh, ability for an agent, a broker, or a developer to win the right to market and sell a property. The second transaction is to find a buyer. Um, and so uh, at the end of the, the day, the, the power is really with the buyer. So if you've got access to a very large network of highly qualified buyers, um, who you can then feed to your, through to your international agents and developer network, um, that's where success lies. And who do you see as your competition? I mean, you're mentioning now that you're in a blue ocean, but I'm surely people must be following our thing. Uh, we really don't see that we've got any competition. Um, if, if you were to break it down, you may say that we've got marketing competitors and real competitors. A marketing competitor is someone who says they do what we do uh, and who claims to do what we do. Um, a real competitor actually does what we do. Um, so we don't have any real competitors. There's lots of people out there um, who have started up websites um, similar to Juwai, 
um, and they, they, they claim to reach Chinese around the world and great market penetration in China, but in actual fact it's a very superficial um, opportunistic play. They build a website, put some listings on and say they do what we do. Now, 80% of what UI does is offline. Um, the technology and the consumer website is really just a, 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 com a small component of our entire company and what we do as a business. What do you do offline? Um, we do everything from editorial through to media agency services through to B2B events through to B2C events. Um, uh, we we uh, do translations, we do education, we do seminars. Uh, it's all about uh, education and information on both the buyer and the seller on how to work together. Is your strength because you planned? Our strength is because of we planned. It's also we're the bridge between two cultures. Uh, almost everyone who is employed at Juwai has uh, has either been educated or lived overseas. They understand the, the the trials and tribulations of working in multiple jurisdictions and multiple markets, and they empathise with both our consumer and our customer. Uh, and so we we form that bridge between two uh, very disparate uh, cultures. Is there anything else you want to add? No, we're, we're incredibly excited by where the business is at the moment. Uh, yeah, as, as founders, we still see we're at the very beginning of our journey. There's so much more which we want to achieve. Um, and where we are today uh, is, is probably only a fraction of where we intend to be. So stay tuned. Okay, good. Um, now let's move on to you as an entrepreneur. What is involved for you personally in creating a startup? Um, I would definitely recommend anyone who's thinking of becoming an entrepreneur or doing a startup. My first word of advice would be don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. Um, I, I don't think anything has ever been really written or articulated in terms of the, um, the pain and the passion which goes into doing a business. Uh, few people realize that it is so all-encompassing on absolutely everything which you do in your life. Um, it affects family, it affects friends, it, it affects health, um, no matter what you, which way you look, uh, you're so vested in what you're doing that everything else becomes secondary. Um, and so some of the challenges you face are um, just the how do you just keep pushing the business forward, um, what do you do in regards to funding, uh, how do you um, build minimal viable products, uh, how do you get up each day and keep doing what you're doing because you believe it in it so passionately. And what are you willing to sacrifice to get to the end? Now, how many startups have you been involved in? Uh, a little over seven startups. Um, and so I've done um, startups with a, a previous company which I work with, which was a fund. So um, I was working with a, a team of 15 uh, startups, of which seven I was working with directly. And they were everything from social media websites to real estate websites through to um, magazine, print and out-of-home advertising companies. So do you think that has helped you in knowing what's about to come by being involved with startups? Look, I think um, you're certainly aware of it, um, but there's nothing like it when you have actually got your, your own risk and your own capital involved. Um, I used to always say that we used to work ridiculously hard for other people, so we thought, well, we might as well do a startup because how much harder can it be? I'd probably say triple <laughs> the difficulty doing it for yourself as, as opposed to doing it for somebody else because you've got your, so much of yourself is more vested in the experience. And is, what's the personal cost in terms of, say, friends and uh, family? Do they... I mean, you're, you're here in, in China. Um, you're Australian. Yes. And I suppose most of your friends would have been in Australia. Even just living in another country, you tend to lose contact with friends. 
pretty much the startup for us has been um, 15 hours a day, seven days a week for three and a half years. Um, uh, my co-founder and I often joke that we um, often wonder how we'll actually find some friends <laughs> want to go out for a drink and we don't know anybody uh, because literally the, everything which you'd put into is into the company. I mean, I lived in Shanghai now for almost three years uh, and for the first two years, the, literally the only path I knew in Shanghai was the 500 metres between my house and my office. <laughs> so would you re- recommend being in a startup alone or with a group or with a partner? You, abs- you absolutely need to have a co-founder, without a doubt. I, I mean, the burden of a startup is too great for an individual. Of course, this also depends on the scale and the size which your ambitions lie. Um, we've obviously got ambitions to be a multi-billion dollar company, and so the scale and complexity is so much greater than someone who's creating a startup to um, as a, a sole operator or someone who's looking to have their own business. So scale is definitely impacted. Uh, but if you are looking to do something big, you definitely need to have support of co-founders around you, people who you absolutely trust, uh, who you know um, uh, intimately, uh, who can work together, um, and you know each other's strengths and weaknesses. Would you say there's a limit to the size of the co-founding group team? Not really. If you look at someone like Alibaba, I think they had 11 co-founders. Ju um, uh, Wai, we've got two co-founders. Some will have three. Um, some will have five. So it really just depends on what you're looking to do and, and how you're looking to structure it. As you've grown bigger, what have you noticed with your investors, with your um, staff? I mean, the, the big thing with, I think, with a co-founder is that... Um, uh, you have to soon realise that you don't get to do the jobs you enjoy. <laughs> um, and everything which we do on a day-to-day basis is just trying to work out, okay, how can we get back to doing the things which we both are very good at and absolutely love doing. You find that um, uh, as a startup, you, particularly if you've got funding, you've got responsibilities to shareholders, you've got responsibilities to, sh- to staff, you've got responsibilities across legal, finance, accounting, HR, uh, you name it. Uh, and other things which you have to do because um, it's very hard to find people to um, uh, to do those type of roles, particularly as you scale. Uh, and so you hire in the best people you can possibly find, uh, and then that allows you to be more focused on the strategy and the execution. So if you're if you're responsible for everything, does that mean you have to know everything, or you have to be able to understand? What's going on? Um, definitely not. When you get the right people in place, you start to uh, let them uh, run their units and run their business divisions, and, and you, you soon uh, lose touch with the absolute micro of everything which is happening. Uh, but then if you've got really good people in the, in the team, then they can actually work with keeping you informed on the stuff which matters. So how do you find good people? And that's, that seems to be the question most entrepreneurs ask. Uh, for us, it's largely been referral-based. Um, uh, people find us. If you're a really good company and you've got a good reputation and people know who you are, then um, we'd probably get anywhere between 50 and 60 applications a week just for jobs which we advertise on our own job board and through uh, various social media channels. Um, so having the, we obviously have, we have a lot of applications, uh, but finding people with the right GUI DNA um, who, who, and it's more attitude over, over skills. You can teach skills, the attitude is what's most critical. So is that Duane DNA, is that a secret that yeah, you Yes, keep? it is. It's a secret. <laughs> Very okay. much a secret. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so is that to stop people from faking it? Or? Yeah, yeah. We, we, we've, we've got a criteria which we look for and we, we know it almost immediately when we see it. So it's almost like the Coca-Cola recipe? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So how much... Do you think luck or hard work 
players because some some people say oh they're lucky to have to have got that success you know if they hadn't been there it was just down to their luck while others say it's hard work what do you believe look there is definitely uh, a scenario whereby um uh, people can identify opportunities early and get involved early, and you may call that luck, or it may just be—it uh, may be more um, people being more intuitive in terms of what's happening around them. Um, three years ago, three and a half years ago, four years ago, when we started uh, Dewey before we even launched, um, uh, it was anything but luck. Um, when one of your co-founders quits his job for 18 months, um, there's no sure thing in that whatsoever. Uh, a lot of market conditions have happened since then, but even if those market conditions hadn't moved and changed, uh, we'd still have a very viable business, and I think we'd still be on 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 target. We've got pretty much Plan B and Plan C for just about every scenario. So, no matter what comes at us, we know what we're doing next. I think you make your own luck. Um, hard work is what makes a startup succeed. Um, passion is what makes a startup succeed. Um, total commitment to what you're looking to do and what you're looking to achieve is what makes you succeed. Money for many entrepreneurs is important. Where they find it, they have a good idea. How do they get the money to get this idea into practice? How did you do it? Um, you could look at all these models around the world and they like say, okay, you've got VCs, you've got um, um, private equity, you've got friends and family. Um, almost every startup which um, I've ever known or come across or be aware of um, will first of all get their first round of funding from friends and family. And to me that's probably the most critical source of funding because if you're going to put your hand out to your friends and family, uh, your commitment to making sure they don't lose their money uh, is pretty significant. Um, uh, you'll find people coming along from time to time looking to invest in you, but then it really comes down to how do you find someone who um, is going to believe in what you're doing, believe in the co-founders, believe in the execution, um, and you find similar DNA uh, for investors, which we look for, uh, as opposed to, to, to staff. So is it important to put your own money to show your own commitment? Andrew and myself, my co-founder, are a little bit more traditional. We're Australians, and so Australians um, typically have the attitude of um, invest in yourself um, and then grow from there. If you're an American, it may be, uh, I've heard the saying so many times from American people, never risk your own capital. Yeah, I've heard that too. And I think if you don't risk your own capital, uh, you haven't shown that you're either committed um, or, or fully behind the idea. You only really have buy-in if you're committed and if you've got a stake and skin in the game. Who are your investors? Are they um, angel investors? Are they um, venture capitalists? Are they friends? Um, our, our share registry is private. We're a private company, but all of our investors are individuals. We don't, yeah. haven't taken any institutional money. Let's go back to your employees. Um, how do you see your, your role in their lives, in their work? We see ourselves as being mentors, as, as coaches, as being people who want our, uh, our team members to excel and be the best people they can humanly be. Um, uh, Andrew and myself have always built uh, fantastic overachieving teams and we do that by putting a lot of energy and effort into making sure um, they can realise who they want to be uh, and, and just do excellence both in personal and work life. So is you, are you leading by example then? Very much so. <laughs> and sometimes we tell them not to follow what we do. It's a case of do as we say, not as we do. Because yeah. uh, otherwise none of our team members here would have a weekend and none of them would have any time off. <laughs>
I've heard you mention the phrase think big and double it and then execute. What do you mean by that? Think big, double it, then execute flawlessly. Um, what we mean by that is that an idea um, for it to be scalable must be big but then you have to know what stages and steps you do towards execution. It's no, no good coming up with a fantastic massive idea to change the world uh, if you have no idea how to get there. Um, so it's all about stage, it's all about timing, it's all about how do you get from step A to B to C to D uh, and making sure that the business sustains while you're going through that growth path. So you mentioned to change the world. Is that is that what you're trying to do? I think every every founder wants to change the world in some way, shape, or form. Um, a founder can can never be driven by money. Uh, it's to be driven by a greater purpose, and that's what makes founders, I think, such an exceptional breed. Uh, is that it's not driven by what's in it for me. It's driven in, in by what am I looking to achieve? Uh, where am I looking to go? How am I looking to change uh, an existing practice which is currently done or create a brand new business where none existed prior? So that's an attitude of the founder. Is that something that's learned or is that something that they're born with? If you tackle an idea which you're passionate about, it's, it's inherent in, in, in being a founder. Um, uh, if you have a founder say, I'm going to start a company because I want to be a multimillionaire, um, that's probably not the right attitude or the reason into becoming a founder because you should be focused on your consumers, you should be focused on your customers, you should be focused on your products. Um, uh, find something which people want to buy or find something which people want to use and then just iterate it to make it the best product of its type or service of its category around. So how do you stay focused? When you were small you, you had a target and then as you've grown bigger I'm sure more targets and more objectives can be we, we started seen. we started with a with a plan um, and we've executed exactly to that plan there's always been flexibility in the plan and we fortunately haven't had to exercise any of that flexibility yet we haven't had any pivots um, but it's about um, the keeping the big picture in mind how do you make sure that you know what the end game is how do you make sure you understand what your product roadmap is like and where you want to be in six months, 12 months, 18 months time? And then it's just about execution, making it happen uh, at the right time. So you mentioned an end game. Is that something that you can reveal now? or is that Absolutely not. But an end game for any founder would be, uh, what did you set out to achieve and have you achieved it? Um, and so at, at the very high level changing the world we haven't changed the world yet we've made a, a massive impact in a very short period of time but changing the world will take a little bit longer <laughs> and is the sacrifice worth it you mentioned look every day you wake up asking yourself the question is the sacrifice worth it yeah. but you keep coming back to work each day and I think this is the thing which drives you is because you want to realise the vision which you started out with and so um, yes, it is worth it. If I, if um, if we dropped dead tomorrow, perhaps it wouldn't have been. But <laughs> hopefully, uh, in a few more years' time, we look at the team which we've built. We look at the business which we've built. It's incredibly rewarding and satisfying on so many levels, um, as we see uh, the team and the business grow with us. So, when you were in your planning stage, I'm sure you must have seen statistics on the chances of success of a startup. 
didn't even didn't even think about it. Didn't think about it. <laughs> didn't even think about it. So would you, would you advise um, new entrepreneurs not to think about it? Or um, it's an individual thing. Um, but the nice thing about those statistics in terms of number of businesses, which and it's not just um, tech startup, it could be any new business operation. If you understand the chances of success, then you can help mitigate against some of the reasons why people fail, and the reasons why people fail may be. Uh, product misalignment, um, uh, not enough revenue growth, uh, not enough consumer uh, adoption, um, or it might be funding. Uh, and so if you're aware of some of the hurdles and you can help mitigate those by being aware before the case, that's, that's probably a very good starting point. Now, your business works internationally. Um, do you have to travel a lot? <laughs> yes, <laughs> unfortunately, yes. Um, and so uh, we've got head offices in both Shanghai and Hong Kong. Um, so we're tra always traveling between those two locations. But then we've got cu customers in a little over 60 countries around the world. Um, and so any major agreement or any major deal, um, uh, typically one of the founders we're involved with because it's something which we uh, are exceptionally good at working with international customers and, and, and larger groups. And so typically we'll, uh, we'll, we'll probably go the equivalent of four or five times around the world every year. And that's, does that, what's the cost of that? Is that it's stressful? It's terrific. It's terrific. <laughs> um, people think, oh, international travel is fantastic. But when you go overseas to, to work, you work. Yeah. Um, and then if the work is finished, the last thing you want to do is tap another three or four days on the end of it because all you want to do is get home. Um, and so uh, it actually works against you a little bit. So if you are fortunate to ever have a holiday, the last thing you want to do is get on a plane and go somewhere. Uh, or if you do get on a plane, you go somewhere, you're going, okay, what's within an hour of where I'm located by plane? You certainly don't want to get on a plane for 10 hours uh, and go somewhere for a holiday. So just to wrap up, what general advice would you give to a new entrepreneur, just starting an entrepreneur, who wants to follow in your footsteps? I would definitely say, first of all, find out if the life of, an, of, a, of a founder or a co-founder or an entrepreneur is something you wish to follow. Um, some of the traits of an, of an entrepreneur you might find are people who are exceptionally good at one or another thing. Um, the life of an entrepreneur does not suit everyone. If you're completely passionate about what you've done, if you're doing your research, if you've got good market knowledge, uh, then that's something which you should definitely consider seriously as going into becoming a, 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 an entrepreneur. And um, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, yes. how can they get in touch with you? Uh, no, look, look, up for me, look me up on LinkedIn or um, um, uh, just contact the office and, and, and we can work out that somewhere that way. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, do you want to give an email or anything? Uh, no, probably no. not. No, okay. At the moment I get about 1,500 emails a day, 1, so, <laughs> so anything I can do to keep my email traffic down would be yeah. fantastic. So if anyone wants to get in touch with LinkedIn you... LinkedIn is the best thing. LinkedIn. Simon J. Henry. Okay then, thank you very much. Simon. Neville, thank yeah. you. Thanks. You're welcome. That was Simon Henry, co-founder and co-CEO of Juwai.com. We hope that you enjoyed the interview as much as we did making it. Simon gave us a detailed look behind the scene at Juwai, an award-winning online platform his first startup after seven startups for others. He described how after they identified the Blue Ocean opportunity, his co-founder quit his job to research the opportunity, at the same time wondering if others would beat them to the punch. The road they have already covered towards their billion dollar goal, how their positioning as a marketing and services company has given them a phenomenal growth which has placed them in a unique and dominant position in the real estate market, servicing the Chinese community worldwide. 
the personal vision and sacrifice that drives both him and his co-founder to create a business that serves to satisfy his employees, investors, customers and revolutionise the real estate industry. Simon has revealed the part that passion, research and market knowledge has played in the success of Juwai and its importance to an entrepreneurial venture, which is important advice to those just starting out as entrepreneurs. This is Neville J. McKenzie ending the 8th AsiaBusiness.com interview, Entrepreneurs in Action. This brings us to the end of this episode of Asia Biz Stories, Entrepreneurs in Action. Now we need you to hit the subscribe button and head over to asiabizstories.com for more great information on how to take your inspiration and turn it into action. Thanks again, and we look forward to having you join us next time on Asia Biz Stories, Entrepreneurs in Action.